0: Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Let's read. Thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Now, Lord, thank you for your presence we've sensed in our worship. Now open our hearts that we may hear what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith, and I ask you to draw them to a place of repentance. Don't let one of them be lost. And Father, I pray that in this service and in this new series of messages and services, that you will do a fresh work in our homes and our families, a fresh work in our relationships, that it will be honoring to you and pleasing in your sight. I pray all of these things now in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. It isn't going to come as any great revelation for me to tell you that we live in troubled, difficult times. And everywhere you go, you find people on edge. Emotions are stretched to the breaking point. Pressures are mounting. Fear is prevalent. Weariness has settled in. Problems seem insurmountable. The one place that is supposed to be best suited to deal with the stress and pressure of this age is the one place that seems to be facing the greatest challenge. I'm talking about the family. In our current climate, instead of the family being a safe and secure shelter from the storms of life, it has come under fire and the very fabric of society is being torn apart. We've had to develop an entire vocabulary to try and describe some of what is taking place in the homes of our nation today. So we talk about dysfunctional families, we talk about blended families, we talk about non-traditional families. The numbers tell us that single-parent homes and single-parent families have dramatically increased, and most of the single parents are women. About a third of school-age children go home to empty houses after school. Out-of-wedlock births have become normal, accepted, and even celebrated. The number of adolescent suicides has dramatically increased. The number of divorces each year has skyrocketed. And if we aren't careful, we'll listen to the numbers and look at the graphs and we'll kind of zone out, and they will become nothing more than a group of statistics. We forget that every one of those numbers represents a life And a family. Every one of those numbers impacts a community. Every one of those numbers represents hopes and futures and feelings. You know, every Sunday I look over this congregation and in every section of the building I can find people who are going through a difficult time in their family. Some of you are struggling in a marriage. Some of you are trying to find healing from the trauma of a divorce. Others are concerned and burdened and wondering what to do about straying children. Still others are searching for a way to mend the rift that has developed between you and your parents. Well, As we look at this passage from the history book of Nehemiah, I believe the Lord has laid these verses on my heart because he knew who was going to be part of this service today And because he knew these verses would speak in a special way to somebody who needs help for your hurting family. See, I'm convinced it isn't an accident you showed up at Restoration Church today. I'm convinced it's not an accident you're watching the message online. The Lord has a word for your life, and he wants to bring his help to you today. You know, the story of Nehemiah begins about 586 B.C. when the nation of Judah was conquered and taken captive by the Babylonians. At that time, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was torn down, the gates of the city were destroyed by fire, the wall encircling the city was broken down. Many of the citizens were killed, most of the ones who survived were deported to Babylon. Only a few very poor, very old, very weak people were left to roam the countryside and fend for themselves as best they could. For some 70 years, the people of Israel were in captivity, first under the Babylonians, then under the Medes and the Persians. Finally, after 70 years, when Cyrus I was the ruler, people were allowed to return to their homeland. In that first return, it was Zerubbabel and then Ezra in the second return who led contingencies of people back to Jerusalem. Upon arrival, the first thing they did was restore the true worship of God, and then they set about rebuilding the temple. Well, when the book of Nehemiah opens, a friend has returned from Jerusalem and given a report to Nehemiah about the state of affairs there. From that report, Nehemiah discovers that although the temple has been restored, yet those who returned to Jerusalem are in great distress because the wall of Jerusalem is still broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Consequently, the people of the city are vulnerable to attack from the marauding bands that roam the countryside. There is no security. There's no sense of being settled. After prayer, Nehemiah requests and gains permission from the king to return to Jerusalem and head up a work team to rebuild the walls of the city so the people can once again live in safety. In chapters 2 and 3, we find Nehemiah encouraging the people. They organize the project. They work together with enthusiasm. The work of repair is progressing at a rapid pace. Things seem to be going full steam ahead until we reach chapter 4 where persecution and opposition stops them in their tracks. There has been a surge of adrenaline and energy expended as the people had a mind to work, and in a flurry of activity, they have built the wall to half its height. Suddenly, there is a roadblock in the form of persecution led by men named Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. When the people begin to look around them in response to the accusations and the persecution of these men, they are unable to see all the accomplishments that have been made. They don't see the success that has been achieved in just a short period of time. They don't see the blessing of God on their lives and granting them favor with the king. They don't see the part of the project that's already been completed. Instead, they are tired tired. They're being persecuted because of the opposition and the persecution and the threats. They are afraid. And all they can see is how much remains undone. All they can see is how far they have left to go. All they can see is the rubbish that still lays strewn over the ground. As a nation, they are hurting. It seems like they will never complete the job. It seems like they will never again be fully restored as the people of God. And the thing that just leaps out at me this morning is that this is not only a hurting people, not only is this a hurting nation, but these are more than numbers on a graph and statistics in a report. These are people, these are families. It isn't just a hurting nation, it's people, it's families that are hurting and struggling. It isn't only the despair of a nation, but it's the despair of individual people and hurting families that is captured in verse 10 when it says, thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. Yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Can can anybody identify with that feeling this morning? Have you ever felt that way about your home? Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you tried, your home was still coming apart at the seams? Anybody ever had that? I have found that it is when we are at our lowest point that the word of God speaks the loudest. And I don't believe for a moment that it's too late for the family. I don't believe it's too late for your family. But the Lord has a word of instruction and a word of encouragement for you. If you're in need of help, then the first thing I see from the text that needs to be done is regroup the family. Verse 13 tells us, then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I, watch this, I stationed the people in families with their swords, spears, and bows. See, up until this point, the workmen had been scattered all over the wall doing the work. They had been separated from their family members. Now that they had become disheartened and that persecution had arisen, Nehemiah tightened the ranks and he brought the families back together. Now that's important because we live in a day in which the family has become fractured. Our culture seems to conspire to keep family members apart. Everybody has their own interests. Each individual member of the family is so busy doing his or her own thing that families are scattered. There are as many separate agendas as there are family members. And we've got, you know, we've got dad going off trying to make it in the, in the business world and make a career. And we've got junior playing ball. And we've got princess going to dance class. And we've got music lessons. And we've got mom being the, being the shuttle driver all around town. And, you know, everybody's going doing their own thing. Come on, somebody. am I? T- because of our separation, we are easily wounded by the arrows of life. Because we are scattered, communication breaks down. Because we are pursuing our own agenda, there's no cohesiveness. One of the first things we need to do to help, help, to bring help to hurting families is simply get the family together again. You see, the home ought to be a place of encouragement. It ought to be a haven of peace, a place where we can find total acceptance and forgiveness and love. The home ought to be a place of openness and sharing and healing. And I'm telling you, as long as we're apart, that can't happen. But there is strength when families get together around a specific problem. There is strength when families get united. Now, you need to recognize that the opportunities for family togetherness are not going to automatically present themselves just because you wake up one morning and decide you're going to regroup the family. There are too many voices calling us in opposite directions. There are too many really good things that need to be completed. There are too many pressures pushing and pulling us apart. So regrouping into families must be an intentional act. You have to look for opportunities and then seize them. You have to create them. You you have to creatively make these things happen. Husbands and fathers, you're going to have to take the lead. You're going to have to set the pace. You're going to have to lovingly call the family back together. You're going to have to make time for the family. Make it a priority above career, above recreational pursuits, above personal achievement. Wives and mothers have a unique position that no one else can fill. See, you can, ladies, you can get the families together when nobody else can. I dare say there's some people in this service today, and the reason some of you are here is because you're just responding to a request by your mother. If she hadn't asked you to be present, you'd be someplace else, but mama got you here. If the family is to survive, and if the home is to be strong and healthy, it must be done. We must regroup the family so we can pray together, so we can play together so we can work together. The key is together because there's strength in the family unit. There is encouragement in the family. There is help that comes from sharing the load as a family. There is a spiritual power that is generated by a godly family that refuses to bow to the gods of this present age and instead holds firm and true to the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. If the stresses of life are pulling your home apart, regroup into families. Find ways to get together. Create ways to get together. Pray that the Lord will give wisdom and strength and enablement for you to get together. Don't settle for anything less than a whole, complete, healthy home. The next word of instruction we find for hurting families in this story is in verse 14. When I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. This lets us know that not only do you have to regroup into families, but you then have to resist fear. I know parents who worry themselves to distraction about what might happen to their children when they are out of their sight. I know parents who have heard all the reports about drug use and alcohol abuse and teen pregnancy and teen suicide and youth gangs and the humanistic philosophy that is being taught in the schools. And they are absolutely paranoid. They live their lives in such fear that their child might get caught up in something like that. Now please understand me, I know those things are very real and I'm not trying to minimize them. I am not so naive to think they can't and don't happen to young people, even to young people brought up in the church. I also know that the pressures on our young people today are far greater than anything I ever faced growing up and probably greater than anything you face too because this world is not getting better and better, it's getting worse and worse. Having said that, I have to realize I cannot live my children's lives for them. As much as I would like to, I cannot protect them from life. At some point, I have to come to the place where after I have taught them and after I have trained them and after I've prayed for them and prayed with them, then I have to trust them and I have to trust God. I have to leave them in His hands. Now I hope y'all are okay with this because you just as well to settle in because for, for about the next seven weeks we're going to be talking about stuff to do with the home and family and relationships and love and marriage and I, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to tread so I'm just busting right into it. Probably the greatest thing you could hear the Lord say to you today about your family and about your home is fear not You need to understand, God cares more about your family members than you do. So fear not. Some of you are so worried about your children, you don't sleep well at night because of your anxiety. Some of you are all tied up in knots over the latest episode where your son or your daughter went completely against everything you tried to teach them, and now they're in a mess of trouble, and you're trying to figure some way to get them out of it. You don't know how in the world it's gonna be possible. You mothers can't even look at them without bursting into tears. Fathers, you can't talk to them without your blood pressure going off the charts. And the Lord would say to you, fear not. Resist fear. Why don't you just, in prayer, take them like this and place them in the hands of the Lord. Let him deal with them according to his way, according to his good pleasure, according to his timetable. You're trying to fix it. You can't fix it. Put them in God's hands and let him do it and take your hands off of it. When you pray for them, quit trying to tell God how to get to them. Let God do it his way. Fear not. <laughs> ah. Now that brings me to the third instruction we see here in Nehemiah. This is how we can resist fear. See, it's easy for me to stand up here and shout at you, fear not. And you say, well, yeah, you didn't live in my house. (laughs) Easy for you to say. But this is how to resist fear. Verse 14, right after he says, do not be afraid of them, he follows right on the heels of that and says, remember the Lord Who is great and awesome. And there it is. This is how. Remember the Lord. See, the reason you are afraid is because you forgot the Lord. One of the quickest ways to sap your energy is to focus on the problem. See, Israel was looking around at the rubbish in the streets. They were looking at the mess that still needed to be cleaned up. They were looking at the threats. They were looking at the persecution. They needed to be looking to the Lord. One of the hardest things to do when you're struggling and when nothing seems to be moving in the right direction and when things are in a mess and when the family is hurting, one of the hardest things to do is to get your eyes off the negative and onto the positive. Listen, as long as you focus on the problem, faith will founder. As long as you focus on the adversity, fear will rule your heart. As long as you focus on the failures, the enemy will constantly be there to magnify their significance and to keep you frustrated. I'm not suggesting you deny the problem. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. Some of you may need to explain that to your neighbor, okay? That's a dad joke. (laughs) Neither am I suggesting you try to pass the buck and not take responsibility for your own actions and your own attitudes. But in the midst of all the adversity, I'm suggesting you can get your eyes just a little bit higher than the obstacle and see that the very thing that looks like an impossible problem could very well be the thing that can become a new possibility when God gets in the midst of it all. maybe you've blown it as a parent. Maybe you've blown it as a husband or a wife. Maybe you've blown it as a child. Well, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. So why don't you leave the past in the past? You cannot undo the past, but the past does not have to determine your future. Your past does not have to handicap your future. Why don't you take all those old negative voices that keep playing over and over in your head and turn them in and replace them with a new operating system that will tell you what thus says the Lord. Why don't you get your eyes off the rubble? Why don't you get your eyes off the part that is still broken down? Why don't you get your eyes off the past failures? Why don't you get your eyes off the negative circumstances? It's time somebody started to remember the Lord. Somebody... (laughs) Somebody needs to remember Psalm 21 and 7. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Somebody needs to remember Jeremiah 31, verses 15 through 17. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears for your work shall be rewarded declares the Lord and they shall return from the I'm preaching to somebody that needs to grab this promise and they shall return from the land of the enemy and there is a hope for your future declares the Lord and your children shall return to their own territory. Get your focus off the negative and remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is faithful and true. Remember the Lord who is your true source. Remember the Lord who is your provider. Remember the Lord who is your shelter. Remember the Lord who is your help. Remember that he is your God and you are in his hands. And if he is for you, nothing can stand against you. Remember that you are more than a conqueror through him. Remember that regardless how big the problem, he's bigger. Remember the Lord. You still with me? To get help for hurting families, regroup the family. Resist fear. Remember the Lord. Last one. Renew your efforts. Verse 14 says, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And here it is. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I'm telling you, it's always too soon to give up on the home. It's always too soon to quit on the family. You don't win the prize if you quit in the middle of the race. You may have fought and cried and prayed and not seen any results from those efforts. However, you will never see any results if you give up. The struggle you face in the home isn't just a struggle to keep from being another faceless statistic. It's a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual enemy who would like nothing better than to see your home and your family go down in defeat like so many others in this world. That's why it's so important to surround your home and family with prayer. That's why it's so important for you to not live one way when you're in church and another way when you're at home. Well, that was really good. I just thought I'd throw that in and sneak it in on you. That's why it's important to combat the insanity of this world's insistence that any and every path is okay as long as it feels good with the truth of God's eternal unchanging word. If your husband is away from the Lord, refuse to give up. If your marriage relationship is in disarray, refuse to give up. If your children are living contrary to everything you tried to teach them, refuse to give up. If your parent is obstinately continuing down the path to self destruct, refuse to give up. Never give up. Refuse to quit. Renew your efforts in the battle and fight. Now understand, you're not fighting them. See, that's where we mess up. We think we gotta battle them. We think we've got a nag on them. I mean, I mean, discuss it firmly with them. Isn't that what we do? Bless God, I'm gonna tell them what's right. No. You just talk to God about it and release them to the Lord. You need to be praying that the, see, the Bible says that the reason people follow, follow these crazy things and go, go away from God is because the God of this world has blinded their eyes so that they can't, under, they can't even receive truth. So the first thing you ought to be praying is, oh God, open their eyes. Open their spiritual understanding to recognize their need for you. And let me just kind of throw this in. This, this, is, this, is, this is not planned. This is just, well, here it is. They probably can't hear it from you. I know you know what to tell them. I know. And I know you so desperately feel like you need to tell them. And you feel like maybe you've done an injustice if you haven't told them. But they can't hear it from you. Does anybody remember uh, the the Charles Schultz Peanuts? You remember that? Do you remember the, the kids in school and the sound of the teacher? Wah, 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 wah. Oh yeah 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 okay. When you start telling them truth, that's what they hear. Wah, 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 wah. They can't hear it from you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. I'm. I know that. I know that's distressing. So here's what you need to do: you need to pray that the that the Holy Spirit will open their blinded eyes, their spiritual eyes, to understand. And second, you need to pray that God will send a godly person across their path that they can hear, that will speak truth into their life. Don't ever give up. But don't you do the fighting, you do the loving, you do the caring. Trust God, trust, trust God to do, oh it's so hard to do that, isn't it? Trust God with your kids, trust God with your spouse, trust God with your parents, trust God with your family. Live right, do right. But trust God to do it in his time. And remember who you're fighting for. You're fighting for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. You're fighting for the family. You're fighting for those you love. You're fighting for all those who will come behind you. The enemy has brought his arsenal in an attack against the family. But you stand fast in the assurance that Christ has already overcome him. And he has promised that through his power you will overcome as well. Isn't that what we just celebrated last Sunday? Christ has overcome. Well, guess what? He didn't then go back in the tomb and lose this week. The tomb is still empty, he's still alive. Now is not the time to stop, it's time to renew your efforts on behalf of your family. It's time to resist the devil, it's time to expect the Lord to come through with power and great glory to accomplish his perfect will and purpose. You may have been doing this a long time and you may be weak from fighting and there may be much left to do. Sure your family is not perfect, sure you wish things were different. Sure, when you look around you, you see there's dusty rubble lying all around. And sure, you'd rather give up. What I want to know is not how do you feel, but how will you feel if you keep on? How will you feel when you look back and see what you've accomplished and after you fight one more round and God comes through just when you need him most? How how will you feel when it's all over and you stand in the eternal presence of the righteous judge and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm telling you, there is help for hurting families, even yours. You'll find it as you regroup the family, as you resist fear, as you remember the Lord, and as you renew your efforts and refuse to give up. Stand with me, please.